None of the Beatles had even arrived. So this is September of 69. But here's the interesting point that nobody even knows. And I'm finally telling it. Junctures from Liverpool, England. People all over the world are just beginning to talk about the Beatles. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. One, two, three. Hello, my name's Paul McCartney. This is Ringo Starr. This is John Lennon. I'm George Harrison. Hello, and welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, May Pang. May is a photographer, former music industry executive, and author who has just released an incredible new film called The Lost Weekend, A Love Story. This film explores the 18-month romantic relationship between John Lennon and herself, a love story that took 50 years to tell. It's truly an honor to have May on the show today as she goes into detail about her relationship with John Lennon, her memories of the iconic Lost Weekend, and even shares two never-before-heard stories about her life with John that are exclusive to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. If you're interested in seeing The Lost Weekend, A Love Story in theaters, be sure to check out the link in the description for tickets. So without further ado, let's dive into the fascinating life and experiences of May Pang, here, on here, there, and everywhere. John decided we should move in together. We ended up finding the perfect apartment. Can you imagine? I was 23, and my first living boyfriend was John Lennon. We took the bedroom, and we fixed up the guest room for Julian. It was an absolute joy and a pleasure. It was just Dad and May, and it was just a happy, happy time, especially in some of the photographs. Uh, you can see that May took of us, of Dad and I, together. I seem to be the guy in New York that all the Englishmen say hi to, you know. Oh, which is good, you know, it's mixed in town, Paul's in town, anybody comes, I love it, you know. Paul McCartney used to say, you know, come over to our house and, and Ringo and George and Elton. Funny bit, we were trying to get in touch with Paul and Linda for dinner. We didn't reach them, we left them a message, and as we're coming up uh, 61st Street in the cab, we look over in the other cab and it's Paul and Linda. And all of a sudden we yell out, and the two Beatles, right, John and Paul, stick their heads out and they're screaming at one another, say, I'll talk to you later, and as the car's moving, they split. And it's wild to see that. May, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your new film, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story. This is a landmark film in rock and roll history because it corrects a narrative that has typically been dismissive of this time during John's life. But it was actually a very productive time for John. How did you decide to make this film and finally tell your story of what happened? Well, you know, when you start reading about, you know, and people reading about it and coming up to you and say, I know everything about you. And I'm looking at them going, you know nothing about me, really. I mean, you know, because the narrative that's been out there, but with told over and over again by other people. You know, it's like that Chinese whispers and you start with one thing and by the time it ends, it's a whole 
another thing that didn't even start from the beginning. You don't even know. And I've had that said to me many times and I'd let it go. But, you know, after a while, um, I needed to correct that history. And it was most important because it's Beatle history. And there's a lot of us that, you know, that's repeating the wrong history and especially my role in it. And I needed to change that. And people thought, well, why is she talking about John and her relationship when it was only a weekend? So I think that I, I thought it was time. And it's taken me 50 years to finally get to this spot. So it's not something that um, happened overnight or people saying, oh, you know, she's just doing it, you know, for the sake of whatever, you know, money or whatever, you know, because they like to people like to put down other people and they don't know the real reasons for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also so important to tell the truth. Right. And it's, it's taken a long time. I mean, you know, I walked away from a lot of different things. I mean, I've been approached many times by people who said, I'm making a film on the Beatles on or John and, and your history is most important. And I like to tell it. And I'm thinking, yeah, why are you telling it and not me? Because I know it's going to happen here. You know, you just know what's going to happen. So I said, uh, no, thanks. And I've, you know, I've managed to just let it go by and I, I spent the last, uh, all these years, uh, a majority of these years raising my two kids who are now older. Yeah. They're probably the same age as you or what, and then, you know, they're gone. Now I get a chance to come back and do, uh, some other stuff, you know, and I was still working with their father who was a record producer as well. Who's still very active. Tony Visconti, who of course, who's worked on with, uh, a lot of different acts, but he's most known for uh, T-Rex and and uh, David Bowie and, you know, and a few others. So, May, how did you first meet John and Yoko and how did you start working for them? You know, I fell into that one. One of the things I was looking for a job, I went to, to college and I didn't like school. I hate saying that, but it wasn't for me. And I really wanted to be in the music business. I was so music was. It saved my life. And I say that because uh, I grew up in an area of, of Spanish Harlem. I was not, uh, I was a low man on the totem pole. People thought I was a little freaky because I liked music. And, 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 you know, when I, back in the, and I hate saying it back in the sixties, especially a lot of those writers, um, when they wrote songs, you could, you could feel it. They, they were saying things that I was feeling, you know, you're talking about Carol King, you know, and, and all those uh, songs that she had written. And so that, that in a sense saved me when you, when you're in a sense lonely, you hear those songs and you could relate to them. So I didn't like being in school. I went to 13 years of Catholic school. My mother did the right thing. Um, not that any of them in my family was Catholic. It just happened to be the best school in the neighborhood. And she was right. You know, uh, the education was really good. Um, and then it was time for me to to go somewhere else. I went to, to college. It was uh, I, I went. It was a two year college I wanted to do. And I just remember going, going, oh, my God, what's this? Because I went to an old girls school. So it was kind of interesting to be in a, a co-ed situation. And then I quit. And this is the part where I said, okay, I got to find a job. I have no skills, none. Um, I went out 
and they to an agency back then they had these all these employment agencies so they said okay we got we got one for you it's to be receptionist at a japanese bicycle company i said oh great i can get on the phone i could take notes i'm good i get there and i realize i'm not fit for this place at all um you know i'm chinese they're japanese still a little so weird so I come back downstairs and I'm uh, my girlfriend's standing by who's going to meet me. She knew I was having the, um, you know, the interview. She meets me. She goes, you know, what's in this building? And I said, what? She goes, Apple Records. And I look at her and I go, are you kidding me? So I look at the directory and sure enough, it says Apple Records. I'm reading it going, oh, it's Apple Records. And she looks at me and she goes, and I'm going, I'm going. She goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going upstairs to ask for a job. She goes, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? I said, what harm is that? I'm already at zero. If they tell me I don't get have a job, it's still at zero. It's not going to get any worse. It can only go up. So she goes, you're crazy. I'm leaving you. And I went off and I pressed for the button at the 41st floor because that's where the offices were. And I get off and it's this one woman sitting there. And at first it was like, Nothing is, you know, uh, happening. And she's looking, she goes, can I help you? And I said, I wonder if there's any job openings. And she's gone, not that I know of. And I go, okay. So I'm standing there looking around at empty air. You know, it's like, okay, did they, had they been here? You know, your, your mind starts to wander. And she's looking at me and she says, can I help you with something else? Obviously it made an impression on her. And I said, I'm just curious to, have the Beatles ever been here? And she just chuckled and she goes, no. <laughs> and just at that moment, two doors on either side of her desk flings open and people are just piling out, just people. I was like, what happened here? You know, it was like a crowd. And, um, and she happened, luckily for me, she yelled out and she goes, this, she's looking for a job. Are there any openings? And this guy turns around, looks at me, and he says, come back after lunch. I might have something, you know. And I went, okay. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know who the crowd was. And I didn't realize it was lunch hour for them. And everybody's storming out of the building. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, you know, nine to five. And this was now one o'clock. I didn't realize it was a 10 to six, uh, you know, <laughs> schedule. And this was their one o'clock lunch period. And they're <laughs> filing out and they were all like, let me out. Um, and I wanted to be sure I got there in time and not be part of it. So I came back and I said, oh, I'm supposed to do an interview. And it was another woman uh, that was there. And she goes, she called in. And uh, I went back and I was interviewed by uh, uh, guys that, besides the office manager, other guys that were in a department where it was about royalties and, and music publishing and stuff. And they said, can you type? I said, sure. Uh, can you, can you, uh, you know, do the calculator? Can you add up? And I said, sure. He says, okay. Can you work starting next week? I said, yes. And I was in. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I walked out of there going, I got a job and it's in the music business and it works for Apple. So how much better can that be for me? Right. It's perfect. I was so thrilled. Um, 
I, even though I didn't know how to do anything, I made sure I got there early and every day I taught myself something. And that's a lesson that should be for everybody. You want something you got to work for. It's not going to be handed to you. You got to stay there and you got to be, it's like, I got the job, but if I couldn't carry on and and finish the work, I wasn't going to have a job. So that's something that, you know, you, you still had to do. And, um, and they they liked my work. I was so diligent about everything. Uh, I would come in early just to learn all these different uh, things, how to work the phone, how to type. Really, I didn't know how to type either. Um, and I did everything. And, uh, and, you know, they asked me about a month later, said, do you have anybody else like you? And I got my <laughs> girlfriend a job. So there. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. So then, um, so... No, none, none of the Beatles had even arrived. So this is September of 69. But here's the interesting point that nobody even knows. And I'm finally telling it. Um, while I'm there, like maybe two weeks, I get this phone call. I'm at, I'm at the front desk. You know, they need somebody to, to be at the front desk. Now it's my turn to be there. And a radio station calls in. They said, we're from whatever. And I said, okay. And they said, um, this is Apple Records. I said, yes. And they said, what can I do for you? And they said, well, we want to know about this uh, rumor that we hear that Paul is dead. And I go, what? There's no, we don't know anything about it. So you're telling me nobody. And I said, hold on one second. I said, no, we haven't heard anything. So I called back to the office to, you know, somebody in that department. Nobody wanted to take the call. You deal with it me you know here i am i go okay so i said uh, sorry there's nobody available to take the call and they said can, so they said can we talk to you i said i guess you know <laughs> and uh, they said well we hear that paul says i said we haven't heard those rumors you know so uh, so you're saying that you didn't i said yeah we don't have we never heard these rumors until now and so I'm the person when you read about it and they said they spoke to somebody at Apple. It was me. No way. <laughs> Cause I started awesome. reading articles and they said, we spoke to somebody at Apple and they said, never heard the rumors. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. I, I remember getting a call. And then I realized it's about me. I'm the one that took the call. <laughs> See what happens. I had no idea. So I'm reading all this about the history, but I'm the person that answered that call. Wow. So things really do tie in with each other. Yes, especially with me. I am one of those that, you know, I'll say something and all of a sudden something happens, you know, and I'm like, but I had no idea that that would be it. And um, but that Paul is dead rumor when they called in. Yes, I was the girl at the switchboard. <laughs> so after working for Apple for a couple of years, Yoko asked you to begin a relationship with John Lennon. Did that come as a shock to you? Well, let me go back. Yes, I worked at Apple. And then everybody started to come in, meaning uh, after that, it was like uh, the following year, you know, George Harrison would come in, Ringo was coming in, different bands were coming in. And John and Yoko were the last. So they came into the city. So this was now in December of 70. And I started working for them on on that because they needed some people. It wasn't a permanent job yet, but they wanted me to be part of it. So we were working on two films. That being said, that's done. I go to England. They wanted me to go to England. And I started to work more and more for them as so that, you know, I just wanted your 
viewers knowing that that's how it happened. It just didn't all of a sudden happen. I've been working for them now since 70 and I moved them into Dakota. We went through different phases and um, this was now 73 that this whole thing happened. My office is in the Dakota at this point. So I remember being uh, in my office. We had just finished work on Yoko's album, Feeling the Space. And it was really, um, I, I had a lot of fun because it was the first time we were using musicians that were real musicians, session guys, as opposed to rock and rollers, which is a little different playing and, you know. So, um, and now I finished with her, we were doing press, but I was also doing double duty because John decided he wanted to go into the studio and we're now working on Mind Games. So, so that's now, this is 50 years ago. So you have to realize all this is going on. So I'm the only one in there and I'm doing all this stuff. And, and I, I just remember coming in, sitting down with my cup of coffee and Yoko walks into my office and she goes, I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I grabbed my pen, paper, ready, you know, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, I need that sip of coffee real quick. Cause you know, it's like, I'm still trying to be awake. I normally would come into the office early just so I can decompress from trying to get there and then think about what am I doing for the day? And which is always a list. So she goes, you know, John and I are not getting along. And I'm sitting there going, Oh, I'm so sorry. But if you work there, there's a few of us, you would feel the tension that was happening, build up in the, but you know, you don't talk about it. You just know that there's stuff going on. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, yes, he's going to start going out with other people. And, uh, you know, and I, and I'm thinking, oh, as she's telling me this in my head, there was a bubble. It would say, oh no, John, Yoko, X Factor, you know, what's now, where are we going? And just at that moment, as I'm thinking, oh, okay, she goes, oh, I know you don't have a boyfriend. I'm like, not me. I don't, I don't want this. This is not for me. Thank you. And she goes, oh, I know you weren't after him. I know you didn't want to. But, you know, I think you would, it would be good if you went out with him. I said, no, it wouldn't. I'm <laughs> arguing with her. I'm not, I said, I'm not interested. You don't understand. People didn't understand. I've been there for three years. I saw them as employers, people, you know, that I work with. Not anything more than that because I was too busy working. So I just went on, you know, I just sort of uh, went off and and uh, I said, no, I'm not interested. She goes, I think you'd be good. You don't want him to go out with somebody that's going to uh, not be good for him. I said, of course not. And I said, of course I want somebody nice to go on. And I'm thinking, but it ain't me. I kept saying, this isn't me. She goes, I think it'll be good. And she gets, she walks out the door and I'm like sitting there going, what just happened? And I'm, I will say, I was so emotionally taken aback by it. Tears were, were streaming down my face. Cause I was like, I don't know what just went on. It's too, it was just really, um, I couldn't take it lightly. I didn't know 
what she was about, you know, or any of that, but I knew it affected me really. And then, um, and I'm thinking maybe it's one of those crazy moments that she had and then she'll forget about it, you know, and cause that usually happens. So I, I'd say, okay, I composed myself and there were other people around and, you know, I had to continue the day, not saying anything, but knowing this was that what she just said to me, um, she came in and she's, oh, by the way, uh, halfway in the middle of the day, she said, oh, by the way, um, John wants to cancel today's session. And I said, okay, I canceled it. And I, was, I ran home when six o'clock came. I, I ran home and I was like so happy to say, let me get back into my apartment and just, I had to de- decompress. And I go, who can I talk to? Nobody's going to believe this. This is like, you know, what am I going to do? Wow. So that's how it started. Wow. And how well did you know John at the point where you were asked to start a relationship? How well do you know your boss? I mean, I guess I I uh I know him I knew him well enough to to say you know what was going on around us, you know, um you know, I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't say we knew each other well enough. You know, he goes, oh, May, uh, are you are you OK? Or, you know, he would say things to me. Um, he knew a lot about my own private life, in a sense, uh, that I would go out and I go I hear music and he would ask me things. But I didn't go deeper into that, you know, because. They had their own things going, you know, they went to to events I didn't need to go to. You know, so we were with each other, all of us, uh, anybody that worked there was like 24-7. You know, if I go home, like, for instance, uh, I worked uh, I worked for, for Yoko on, it, on, this, on the album project. I got her home at 3 o'clock. She would call me at 3.30 if she had something that was bothering her, you know? And I go, okay, you know, all right. So that that's how close we got, you know, that. They called me at all hours. But I mean, it wasn't John. It was more Yoko because she had more of of projects in mind. I don't know if you would want that job. I mean, it it developed into it that 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 type of relationship, you know? I mean, um, I'll give you a perfect example that's not in the film. So far you got one thing that wasn't in the film, and now you're getting the second one. <laughs> this is great. Um, one of the times we, we did uh, you know, the Jerry Lewis telethon. You remember that? They're, you know, raising money for muscular dystrophy. And John and Yoko were on. And he had the band, the uh Elephant's Memory as the backing band, and they were gonna perform. And we've been working all day. We were at the hotel, we uh, because it was like they got us all a hotel room and I shared the suite. I was on one side, they were on the other big living room. Everybody, it was like a congregation of everybody there. I was so happy to get into my, my bedroom. I actually had my girlfriend come over to, to lend me a hand. Cause they didn't care as long as said, come give me a hand. I need help. I'm like doing all of this. She goes, Oh, for them, it was fun. For me, it was work. So we finally get to bed. It was late. And I, I went in cause I knew I had to be up by seven to take to, because to prepare for them to be on stage and you know because those were in those days those were like what a whole weekend of of non-sleeping you know so i'm i'm in there and i'm like the lights are out my girlfriend's laying you know on the other bed i'm in one bed 
And all of a sudden the door opens. And it goes, May? And I go, yes. You know, are you asleep? <laughs> and I and I said, come on in. And I turn on the light. And she's sitting on my bed giving me notes. My girlfriend turns over. She goes, why don't you have the light on? And she realized she now faces Yoko <laughs> sitting there. And she went, she takes the sheet and she's like this. And I said, oh, Yoko, this is my friend Sarah who came to help out, you know. And she's, and she goes, hello, Sarah. And then she's like, okay, so now we're talking. My girlfriend's in horror. You know, she's got her hair's in rollers. She's, and she's looking at her and she's, oh, my God. Two seconds later, the door flings open and it's John. Now she's even more of a horror. She goes, oh, so this is where you are. I was looking for you. It's like, so these are the things that, you know. You go, okay. And she's out really in horror. She's like John Lennon seeing me in rollers, you know, things like that. So, And I'm laying in the bed taking notes. So how well do we know each other? I guess pretty well in that sense, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't be, you can't be shy and you can't, you got to be ready. And so I was just, I was ready. And when they left, it was like, what's my hour? I only got like two hours left before I got to get up again. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> John was once quoted in a conversation saying that the lost weekend period of his life was the happiest that he's ever been. Did it seem that way to you? Absolutely. It was the happiest. We spent, we were like kids. We were, um, you know, as I said, he was the first living first boyfriend I ever lived with, you know, really a serious relationship, you know, not your dating situation. And that was very minimal. Um, this was like, oh, my God, uh, we lived together. And I didn't even know how to act on that, you know, on that level. But I was lucky to, enough to have a boyfriend that didn't have a job <laughs> that I had to ship him off to. And because then I'm going, what else do I do? Um, we did, you know, we did things. And the big myth was, you know, we went to L.A. to get away from all the situation just so that we could have some time on our own, you know, that it wasn't New York and there wasn't the pressure. So that's why we went to LA and no, Yoko did not send us out there. That's one of the big myths. The, the, we, we went there on our own because uh turns out that John's lawyer was in town and he was uh, doing some work and he said to him, cause he lived out in LA and he said, so Harold, when are you going back to LA? And, you know, I just happened to walk in the room when that was being said. And he goes, tonight. He goes, oh, so you're getting on the plane tonight. He goes, well, May and I are going to go with you. And I just stood there and just looked back and said, oh, okay. He goes, May, can you make the reservations? And we're going to go. And, and we left that night. Wow. So it was a spur of the moment. And so uh, Yoko found out, you know, later on. We when we were out in L.A. for a few days and then we said, I guess we should call and let everybody in the office because it was, you know, because the office is now in the Dakota as well. So, you know, let's we better tell everybody we're out here. And once you two were in L.A., how did you spend most of your days together? Did you have any favorite activities or places to go? Besides going to uh, IHOP to eat uh, for his favorite breakfast of uh, blueberry pancakes. Um you know, it was I me, I like bacon and eggs and whatever else, but you know, he liked that. Uh it was it was fun. Uh we would it was exploring time. We would just 
exploring what was it like to be out there. We were calling up friends. We ran into a lot of friends that, you know, John hadn't seen in years, um, which was which was really nice. We ran into like, you know, Bill Wyman and Andrew Oldham. You know, he was the original manager and producer of The Stones. And, um, you know, we, we just kept running and, and people, Harry Nielsen, obviously, Mickey Dolenz. And then that's when John got the idea. He goes, you know, I think because we had just finished, um, uh, what was it, the the Mind Games album. And we found out that uh, Tony King, who was the Apple uh, general manager at the time, I believe he was, um, and he worked out of England, but he happened to be also on holiday in L.A. while we were out there at the same time. So it was perfect time. And, and he ended up doing work for John to help promote the album and what to do. So it was a working holiday for him in the end. And it was fun because because of him, we also met um, Elton John because he was friendly with Elton. And on my birthday, that's when we we all met. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I got my little Barracuda from John. It was a used one. It was great. And we ended up uh, filming the the um, that little uh, thing for Mind Games, that little promo. When we, we put Tony King as the queen. So <laughs> it was perfect. This period of John's life is often associated with imagery of bar fights and drinking and getting kicked out of the troubadour. But this was actually a very productive period during John's life. He wrote some of his best and most successful songs during this time, and he reconnected with family and friends. And it seems like you were encouraging of all of this. Can you share a little bit about how you encouraged John musically and socially? Well, you know, he loved music. That was his base. That's his life. And I had just as much fun of that too. And he was so surprised at the fact that I knew almost as much as him about the music. And uh, and I'd say to him, listen, how you, he would always say, how come you know so much? And I said, only maybe because I live in America and we would get this stuff before you guys. And he goes, fair enough, that's true. You know, so that we always had them because John and I were 10 years apart, but I knew I would say certain songs that I said, oh, these are my favorite because they're mine too, you know? And it was like, oh my God. So it was, we had um, a base already to to talk about things and that really helped him um, get back into a lot of the music, go back up to recording. Um, I understood what was needed. So I told him, I said, Whatever it is, I'd rather still um, work on that level that I don't sit at home, sit like a girlfriend that doesn't have to do anything. And I didn't like that. I wanted to be just as active. And I like being in the studio. I like doing all the things, you know. And he said, that's fair enough. That's great. Because we didn't have to, he didn't have to train somebody to say, okay, I want this or I want that. It was easy. Oh, that's great. And the music that you guys, had in common it was mainly 50s rock and roll right absolutely and you know we i realized after we talked about all the different songs that we had so many that were similar and i was surprised you know 
So uh, he's a, he's he was a really big fan of a lot of them, and we got to see um, Jerry Lee Lewis when we were out in um, out in uh, L.A. And he, he says, "Oh my God, the killer!" You know, that was the guy's name nickname. And he, and I remember him dropping down on his knees and just kissing uh, Jerry Lee Lewis's boots. And I'm like looking at him, going, "Oh my God, what just happened here?" Watch out! Watch out! And during this time, were either of you listening to Wings or George Harrison's solo music? And if you were, what did you both think of it? Hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, he did, you know, of, of course, everybody always wants to know. John always wanted to know what the others were doing. And it was always there. You know, it. Um, he would listen to it. But it wasn't like an ongoing, okay, you know, I'm going to listen to it over and over. You know, he would give it a once over and, you know, he'd say, okay, let's see what everybody else is doing. And then, of course, you know, that that um, macho-ness of, of all the guys, I could do it better. You know, I'm going to do it better. I'll write a better songs. But he was very happy for really all of them, that he really was. He was always worried about Ringo. I remember him saying, he goes, you know, we were always worried about Ringo since he didn't do the writing, you know, and uh, and so they always all wanted to help Ringo out. The irony of that was, of course, he had more number one hits than the other guys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, I know. Unbelievable. While you and John were together, Paul and Linda actually dropped in on you guys every now and then. What was it like for you when you first met Paul and Linda? And did you guys ever play music together? Well, the one famous one, which of course everybody says, oh, it sounds terrible. But it wasn't meant. It was a it was a relaxation after a Harry Nielsen album, you know, the when we were doing the tracks. And that was the first night of the, you know, doing it. Um, and after the first session, you know, it was we were listening, playback, and all of a sudden the door opens. And there's Paul and Linda. And I'm like, oh, Paul and Linda. And John's reading my lips because he's facing me. And he goes, Paul and Linda, you know, turns his head and he goes, oh, hey, you know. And he goes, is it finished? You know, I had no idea. We had no idea they were in town. We had no idea how they found us. And they show up and we said, uh, yeah, but, you know, we're going to probably jam. We want to hang, you know, and all this. Who's got a mic besides me? And so in the end, I become part of that jam along with uh, Mal Evans, who also was, uh, you know, the original Beatles roadie. Uh, so the two of us are playing tambourine. So we get a chance to play on, on this. And Linda's on Hammond organ. And then another visitor came by. Uh, it was uh, Stevie Wonder. And, uh, you know, he's on the electric piano. We had three drummers for the Harry Nielsen session. And all the drummers had left prior. So we didn't have a drummer. 
So Paul gets to the to the back and he gets on the drums and he of all the sets, he gets on um, Ringo's drum set, drum kit. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have a bass player. That's the funny part. And we're we're all jamming. I forgot how somebody came into the studio and picked up the bass. We there was no bass player originally. But the funny part is the next day that Ringo comes into the, to the session, he goes, "Who was on my drums kit? The snare drum <laughs> that broke the he broke the head." Oh wow! <laughs> so a friend of mine, uh, Billy Amendola, says to me because he at the time he was used to work for Modern Drummer and he got he got into um, knowing Ringo and he said, "Ringo still to this day." It irks him that that happened. <laughs> Somebody tell me vocal, Michael. Give Stevie a vocal. Where's all that drink they always have in this place? In 1975, you and John were actually planning on going to visit Paul and Linda in New Orleans during the recording of Venus and Mars. How were you feeling about that plan and how is John feeling about potentially recording with Paul McCartney again? Oh, we were living back in New York because a lot of people think it was L.A. We lived in New York. We really did, uh, even during the L.A. period, because it was the only place we felt home. So uh, Linda and Paul had come by, told us they were going to New Orleans. They often dropped in, into our apartment uh, and said, hey, listen, you know, um, we're going down to New Orleans. We're going to, you know, we're going to write. Uh, yeah, we're going to do this new album and all this. And John said, oh, great. You know, after he left, John says, huh, New Orleans sounds good. And then at one point he turned to me. It was one morning, like a couple of days later. And he goes, hey, listen, I got to ask you something. And I said, what? And I have my back to John. He says, what if I decided to write with Paul again? Do you think it's a good idea? I mean, seriously, I mean, I was like the exorcist, you know, the head spin, what, what are you saying? And because at that point, uh, the Beatles had officially broken up, you know, even legally, they had signed the dissolution of the papers. But the, the difference is, they didn't have that hanging over their head. So if they wanted to do it, it wasn't because a contract told them they had to do it, you know, so it's a different thing. And I said, it would be great. And he said, why? And I said, because, you know, songwriters, you two are, are good. But as a, as a, you know, as both of you together, you were a hard team to beat as songwriters. And he goes, yeah, I thought, I think so. You know, and that, that was as close. And we were hoping until obviously um, things took a change, but that was our plan. And we were about to go down to New Orleans and we were about to, about to buy the tickets to go down there. And we were about to buy a house out in the Hamptons out in Montauk, actually. Um, and, you know, different things happen. Wow. And at that point in time, how were you and John viewing your relationship? Was this going to be a long-term thing? Well, when you think that you're going about to buy a house and, and all these other things, there was no talk of us breaking up. In spite of all those myths that they talk about. No, there wasn't. And May, now here we are, exactly 50 years later. The Lost Weekend, A Love Story, is now coming out in theaters. What was it like for you to make this film? Did any memories come flooding back to you? Anything you hadn't thought of since your time with John? 
oh my God, memories. There was so much of it. I saw photos I've never seen of myself before. It just brought back a lot of different, uh, you know, feelings, emotions, love, um, insecurities, everything. It just all balled up into one. And the 50 years, you know, John said, you know, they'll know. I didn't realize it was going to take me 50 years to, to actually get this together. And this started, this movie started six years ago. This was not something that happened like two years, six years ago. So time's flying by. And obviously how weird that somebody had asked, did I plan it that it would be 50 years? No, but here it is. It's 50 years. You know, I think the coolest thing about this film is that it, sets this period of John's life free from being dismissed by historians and critics. And it adds on a love story to the end of The Lost Weekend, which is what it was. Yeah. And may, where can people show support for this film and where can they watch it? Well, they can all go on to thelostweekendtickets.com uh, and on there they've given them a list of wherever you know wherever they are in the states they can find a place close to them and they can see this movie which um it's an event really and it'll be uh, um what was it april 13th is when they, it's going to premiere um and everybody can see it now in new york and a few other places around the country it will be extended a little longer um for us in new yorkers you know um at the angelica theater it's from the 13th to the 20th and I will be doing, uh, personally, I will be at the place on the 18th and 19th doing a Q&A after the 7 o'clock showing. So anybody, they should go out and buy the tickets now and um, and come join me if you want to wait till I come in to, to do a Q&A. Or if you can't, buy the tickets now to whatever theater is close to you. Awesome. May, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so excited to see this film. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with May Pang and gained some valuable insight into her experiences with John and her new film, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story. Don't forget to grab your tickets for a showing near you. The links to these tickets and to more information about the film is in the podcast description below. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and give it a rating if you enjoyed it. Check us out on social media at Beatles Earth and be sure to follow May as well. All of her links are in the podcast description too. Thank you once again to May Pang for coming on the podcast, sharing your time, and for creating this amazing film. As always, I'll see you all next week with a brand new episode.